Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. I'm happy to be back. I'm so happy to, to, to be back in the Parsha. I have to say, I feel a little, um, we've been off for two weeks now because of, uh, of the Passover break and, and because there is no Parsha. We read special Passover readings. And actually, if you, uh, if you check out my podcast, we, we did an episode on one of those, those readings. So there, there's definitely Torah to study um, um, during the holiday, but it's a good time to take a couple weeks off. And I have been I've been I've been off. I've been in I was in Israel, and uh, you know that was that was a real blessing. So, so uh, I was grateful for the time off, but I'm also uh, I'm very glad to be back in this. I feel a little unmoored if I'm not studying the parsha. This is really my anchor. Um, so I, I uh, I'm grateful to see you all. I'm grateful to uh, to begin our our study uh, our weekly study again. Um, I want to start. Uh, and I have said this sometime uh, before, but um, but I, it certainly needs saying today um, to borrow a term of our age. I want to start with a trigger warning um, because uh, we are going to discuss this. This is this is really uh, necessary today because our topic today is incest. Okay, so just if that's an uncomfortable um, topic for you to 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 think about for an hour. Um, this is this is probably not the right class, and um, and I say and and that will that will also um, that will also eventually um, bring up questions of of rape and other kinds of sexual uh, manipulation inevitably. Um, so it's a heavy topic today, and um, and and so I I, I warn, but I also um, I also want to just warn you that there's no way that we'll we'll really do this topic justice there's no way we'll get to the bottom of this there's no way we're gonna like cover or encompass and and i also just want to apologize in advance if our conversation veers in any way that that feels muddled or confusing or even problematic it's a dangerous topic and and we may i may stumble here and there and um and we'll try to correct each other um, along the way, if that happens, um, 
but but it is an important topic uh, for us to consider as we head now into this parsha. This parsha is Achremot, and um, Achremot has in it the the list of sexual prohibitions that we um, that we've come to call in Jewish tradition the Arayot, Arayot. And the translation for arayot is not sexual prohibitions, but literally nakednesses, nakednesses, okay? So we're going to be looking at the nakednesses that are listed in the Torah. And it's important that we do, be, even if it is a, an uncomfortable topic, and even if the, the moral, and you know, this is one of the, the great Jewish conversations of our age, even if the, the sexual morality that we find it, in the Torah diverges from the sexual morality of our community and our age, um, certainly we'll come across that kind of, um, of, of, of tension. But it's important that we do because it is really one of the huge classic um, um, uh, Jewish um, legal conversations. It is thought to be one of the um, the sexual prohibitions are thought to be one of the primary um, cardinal sins that one can commit in Jewish law. Murder, idolatry, and what's called gilui arayot, which literally means the uncovering of nakedness or nakednesses, right? That, that's sort of a funny word, but actually is the most precise translation. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And um, with those with those warnings and caveats in place, um, let's let's get started. Um, before we just say a blessing here, do I have an administrator? Has anyone hopped on? No. Okay, that's fine. Everybody hearing me fine and everything going fine in terms of, and I've enabled the captions from my mother who I see here and I see them. Does everybody see the captions? No, okay. I Yes, some I usually don't see them and I do see them today, but it's fine with me as long as it's fine with everyone else there. They're there to be enabled for those who, who need them. I'm, I'm, you know, it's one of the great blessings of Zoom and of this, of, this, uh, of this strange online period that we've been in that my mother is able to be here and, and learn with us because of these captions. But I, I don't know exactly how the administrator usually turns them on. So anyway, there they are. All right, let's, I'm also one more caveat, which is just that I haven't taught a class now in two weeks and I like, I gotta get back into the rhythm. So I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little jet lagged and a little wobbly on my feet in general. So um, bear with me and hopefully together we'll, uh, we'll have a, 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 a deep um, investigation into our, into our sacred text. Um, so let's say a blessing, bring some sanctity into this very delicate, um, conversation that we're going to try and have. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kedishanu Vemisvotav Etzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah. Okay, so um, incest, or sometimes um, incest is a bit of a moral word. The, the more technical term often is uh, consanguinity, right? The, the, the mating with those who are, who are blood relatives. Though incest sometimes refers to other kinds of forbidden sexual unions, familial sexual unions um, by way of marriage or adoption, or in some cases even nursing from the same um, nursemaid. Now there are various standards for, for what actually constitutes 
incest. Um, but before we even go there, what I want what I want to um, to start by doing is um, is to to justify a little bit um, why it is that we're looking today at incest and not any of the other sexual prohibitions that are listed in chapter 18 of the book of Leviticus. Because um, when I speak of sexual prohibitions in Judaism, we actually, well, we often think most prominently of adultery, which is one of the 10 commandments. And that is also in this list. And these days, one of the, 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 the most um, um, important and difficult conversations that we have in the Jewish community is the reevaluation of another sexual prohibition, which is the prohibition on um, gay male sex, which is also in this list. And surely that uh, either of those topics requires uh, a, a whole, a whole uh, hour at least in, uh, uh, unto itself to consider. We're not going to go there today. Um, just too much to do, but also I want to give a little bit of a textual justification for why we can consider what I'm gonna ask us to do today, which is to consider the prohibitions on incest in particular and not to think about or not to associate them with some of those other pro sexual prohibitions. Um, and the, the, the justification that I wanna, wanna give is actually textual. Um, and I want to show you something that I don't think that we've considered before in this class. And I, as I was reading up on this class, I read um, an essay by one of my, one of really, I think, the great Parsha um, thinkers in our, in our world today, with, uh, who is uh, Rav Elchanan Samet. He's a, a rabbi uh, in Israel. Um, and unfortunately, his, his work is not available in English. But one of the things that he he read an essay on 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 this topic in in his in his book, and one of the things that he does often and that he did here was to um, to give us an analysis of and as I said, this is something we haven't covered before in this class. Um, we look at the language of the Torah. We look at the context of the Torah. We look at repeating patterns and stories in the Torah. But one thing I don't think we've spent a lot of time looking at in the, uh, in our study is the tradition of, of the writing of the Torah in paragraphs, little of separated paragraphs that are either ptuchot, open, or stumot, closed. In other words, when you look at a scroll of the Torah, you'll see there are breaks, breaks, and some of those breaks are a, a, an entire line, and that's called an open break because it's a bigger break. And then there are smaller breaks, a closed break, but still a break that looks more like a, what we think of as a tab, right? In our in the way we we, we type today, and it's like a, a few spaces to separate one paragraph from another. Now, having said that, Rev. Rev. Elchanan Summit points out that the list of sexual prohibitions in Chapter 18 of the Book of Leviticus can be divided into two parts. And the first part is the prohibitions on incest or consanguinity. And the second chunk contains some of these other prohibitions like the prohibition of, of adultery and like the prohibition of homosexual, male homosexual sex. And I just wanna show you how this works, both because I wanna justify our leaving aside that second half, but also because I, for me, 
that was actually a helpful elucidation to realize that there actually may be different sexual codes in the Torah. And as we reevaluate some, they, they, we, we can actually do some of the separating work and thinking about why incest has its own sexual code and that that is not in fact related to some of those other sexual prohibitions. So let me show you what I mean. And uh, with this, I'll give you, um, let's see here. With this, I will give you uh, a link to today's source sheet. So now this is um, a very famous chapter. Um, we read it, we don't do this at, at Ikar, um, mostly because of the jarring nature of the appearance of the prohibition on homosexuality in a community where we, where we affirm homosexual relationships and unions. Um, but, but, but this is actually classically the, the, one of the readings um, for the, from the Torah on Yom Kippur. Right? To avoid sexual, on a day where we sort of abstain from bodily pleasures, or some kind of reminder of the way that bodily pleasures can spin out of control or um, immoral um, practices of the body. So anyway, um, this is the chapter that, that is sometimes read in, in communities on Yom Kippur. It's chapter eight of Leviticus. And I want to, as I said, um, give you a little bit of a look into why um, we might say that um, the incest prohibitions are separate from some of the other sexual mandates of the Torah. So let's let's take a look here. Chapter 18. Now, we're going to read through verse 17 here. And you can see in verse, um, in verse uh, uh, we, we start the, the, the incest prohibitions here in verse 6. And you can see over here, if you look in the Torah, there's a, there's a marker with a samech after, uh, after the verse, if it's going to be a, a stuma break, meaning a kind of a, a closer or closed break. And that's what this looks like here, this break here. Okay. And there's one actually after every verse in the list of, of incest prohibitions. So that's interesting. There's, there's clearly a kind of a pattern and a grouping that move, all if you don't even if you don't know Hebrew you could just follow these little notations and see one verse after another break 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 it's as if there is a kind of a list a bullet um, a bulleted list you might say of all of these prohibitions right and then after the last one there's a break and then all of the other sexual prohibitions that is the ones that um, that have to do with adultery or um, menstruation, or um, homosexual sex, um, uh, or um, bestiality, all of those are in one big chunk of a paragraph, okay? So that is just, just important information for us because these seem to be operating differently or separately from the list above. And we will not be considering them today, though they of course deserve um, a fuller treatment. Today, we're just going to look at the first listing here that again is broken up in a particular in a particular way. Okay. So, okay, let's now take a step back. And again, now we're going to head into the topic of, of incest in the Torah. And I, I, we need yet more kind of introduction before we actually look at the text. Different societies have different standards for what constitutes um, incest. 
what constitutes forbidden familial sexual relationships, but it is an almost universal prohibition. That is, most, almost all human cultures have some notion of, um, of, of, of consanguinity, of for, forbidden familial relationships, though they differ from culture to culture what exactly constitutes incest. Probably the most, um, most varying relationship is that of cousins. And in fact, and I say this in part because in fact, as we'll soon see in Jewish law, cousins, even first cousins, are not forbidden to have sexual relationships. I have to say, in my family, not too many generations back, first cousins married. And that's true in many cultures, though not in all cultures. Some cultures do prohibit, and, and there are even variations among, um, as I was reading up for this, I, I, I read that in ancient China, first cousins through the father's side could not be sexually related, but through the mother's side, they could. Okay, so th th there are there are variations from culture to cu culture um, over what constitutes incest, but the but the the idea of incest is a rather universal prohibition, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to to, to really take time to separate out these prohibitions from some of the other sexual mores that the Torah presents, because those sexual, those, those other sexual mores have much more cultural variation, whereas incest is remarkably consistent from culture to culture. Again, there are variations, and um, another variation is um, the prohibition uh, uh, of siblings being sexually related, which is forbidden in Jewish law, but is not in some cultures, and this will be very important for us, um, was not forbidden in ancient Egypt. Uh, although I don't know uh, the, the ancient Egyptian code so well, and I think there was there's some question of like which, whether the brother was older or younger, but Cleopatra, for example, um, was married to, or one of the Cleopatras was married to her brother. Okay, so that was that was permitted, especially in um, in ancient e Egyptian royalty, and is often found in um, in royal families as a way of keeping the royalty within the family. Okay, and that may be relevant to our investigation today. So siblings forbidden in Jewish law and many cultures, but not in all cultures. Almost. Universally, I don't. I didn't find any exception. Um, rela sexual relationships between parents and children are are forbidden. Okay. Now the question is, why? Why are they forbidden? And as I said at the outset, no way we're going to do a thorough and and sufficient explanation for that. But let me just name some of the common and obvious explanations, um, which um, which are. One, biological, like maybe this is an evolutionary instinct because uh, there isn't enough gen genetic material. Um, it's what we call inbreeding. If families have sexual off relationships and the offspring from those families will eventually be deficient and can produce birth defects. So that's one explanation. Although not all incest prohibitions can be explained away in that way, right? There are some prohibitions that that don't seem that that some cultures have that don't seem like they would they would be biologically um, necessary, and then there uh, there are cultures that that ignore those biological um, considerations. There is of course 
and we'll probably think a lot about this together, um, psychological explanations, just the, the psychological damage um, that, 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 that can be done when someone um, who is your caretaker or your close um, uh, trusted um, family relationship, when that relationship becomes sexualized, um, you know, we might say there, there, that is, that is a, um, a natural psychological damage like that. Anyone would be damaged by, by that. Although now we're in the realm of, of debate and discussion and what would constitute psychological damage. And there are cultures or at least cultural arguments that say that this is like, this is a victimless crime, right? That if two siblings want to be together, who are we to say that that is psychologically destructive, okay? So, um, and then of course, um, we might offer sociological reasons and, 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 and there begin just to talk about the stability of family or tribal units and the way that competing sexual relationships might undermine some of that, some of that stability, okay? So that's just to name some of the, the basic um, arguments um, uh, for this, for the, pro the prohibitions of, of incest. Okay, what we're going to try and do while keeping those in mind is just to look at, at the text of the Torah and just try to understand what does the language of the Torah seem to be saying to us? And we're just going to do what we always do in this class, which is to just try to be good, keen interpreters of the Torah. We'll look at the, the text itself, and then we'll, um, as we often do, we'll try to note whether this text can be um, better understood by connecting it um, in the context of, 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 the, of the whole Torah to other moments um, in, in, the, in the narrative and, and, uh, of, of, our, of, our, of, our, of our tradition. Okay, that was a lot of introduction, but I, as you can tell, I'm a little nervous even going into this topic. All right, but here we are. Um, so let's take a look. Um, the, the forbidden relationships that um, let me list uh, them before we look at them. That um, that the Torah lists here at the beginning of chapter eighteen are parents and children, right? Um, also, step par parents and stepchildren, step parents and stepchildren. Okay, which that is not consanguinity. That's not a blood relationship, but the Torah forbids that as well. Siblings are, are forbidden to be sexually intimate and step-siblings, okay? Um, grandchildren, um, the Torah list doesn't go any further than that, but children and grandchildren. Um, now here's an interesting one, speaking of, of blips and differences in cultures and their prohibition. I already said that cousins are permitted to be sexually intimate in, in Jewish law. It is um, forbidden for an aunt and a nephew to be sexually intimate, but not for an uncle and a niece. Why that is, we can think about together, but I will just name one potential obvious reason why that might be, because, which is that Abraham was married to his niece, Sarah, okay? So maybe it's just like, well, we can't say that because that would delegitimize the first Jewish relationship. Um, uh, children's spouses are forbidden in this list and um, sibling spouses as well, okay? So I, I think that roughly covers it. So we'll read through it together and, um, and, and, then, and then begin to open up a little bit for 
um, for your thinking and, and explanation and interpretation. So now let's take a look. Here, uh, we're gonna begin. There we go. Everybody see this? We good? Okay. Okay, the introduction here is, a, is, is very important and this may be, our conversation may begin and end with this introduction because it, the framing of these prohibitions is quite striking. God spoke to Moses, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to the Israelite people and say to them, I am Adonai, your God. You shall not copy the practices of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, or of the land of Canaan to which I am taking you, nor shall you follow in their ways. My law alone shall you observe and faithfully follow my rules. I am Hashem, your God. You shall keep my laws and my rules the pursuit, by the pursuit of which human beings shall live. I am Adonai. Uh, that and this is these, there's some famous phrasing here which I'll just point out in the Hebrew. Um, you you shall not copy the practices of the land of Egypt or the land of Canaan, nor shall you follow in their their ways. The the language there is Do not walk in their chukim. And the word for chukim, some of you may know, are rules, not necessarily justice, but just the rules of that society. Okay, the ways and customs of that society. Okay, you might say the, the codes of conduct, you might even say the culture of that society. Okay, the other, uh, uh, the other uh, phrase that I want to point out here, which is very famous, is um, you shall keep my laws and my rules by the pursuit of which human beings shall live. And the language here is ushmartem et chukotai, you shall observe my rules. The et mishpatai and my justice, my law, asher yaseotam, because if you do them, asher yaseotam haadam v'chai you will live through them. They will, and this this phrase is worth keeping in mind because it's really been considered by the tradition. These are life-giving laws. So what might that mean here? I am God. Okay, these are the verses that we're going to look at most closely today, verses six and seven. No man shall come near anyone of his own flesh to uncover nakedness. Ish ish el kol sher basaro lo tikrivu ligalot erva. That that phrase in particular, to uncover nakedness, and that word is 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 our key word today. Erva, ani adonai. Okay, that's an introductory sentence, and then the first phrasing which will become kind of a template for the rest, um, is, is, is the verse we're going to pay particular attention to. The nakedness of your father and the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Ervat avicha ve'ervat imcha lo tegale imchahi. Now, that's a confusing sentence because it looks like you shall not, and the Torah seems to be speaking to, uh, 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 to men, to a male listener, right? No man. So it seems like the Torah is saying you shall not 
uncover the nakedness of your father or your mother, but then it doubles down on your mother. So some people read this to be equivalent to what we read in the next verse, which is the nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It is the nakedness of your father. Okay, those are different phrasings. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. Now, is that your mother? In which case, it's just sort of a repetition of, of what was said above. In which case, the nakedness of your father is just, uh, is just a, 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 the earlier phrasing of, the, of what the next verse calls the nakedness of your father. Is your, your, the nakedness of your mother, does that belong to your father? And therefore, you can't look at it because it's his? Or is this first verse saying you can't look at your father's nakedness or your mother's nakedness, which would be which is the way it reads, and that's quite striking because it su would suggest that um, not just uh, the the Torah is not just presuming relationships between men and women, but potentially sexual relationships between sons and fathers as well. Okay, so this is a little confusing, but this is. Um, the language that we're going to hear for the rest of this passage. I'm going to read just through to verse 17, and then finally going to open up the class. And I want to hear why, what is the reason here why you should not do these things? So I'll start again at verse six. No man shall come near anyone of his own flesh. Kol she'er basaro, to uncover nakedness. I, I am God, I am Hashem. The nakedness of your father and the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She's your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is the nakedness of your father. The nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's, whether born into the household or outside, do not uncover their nakedness. The, the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, do not uncover their nakedness, for the nakedness is yours. That's strange. Now, that's a little different because it seemed like we could have read the earlier verse to mean, oh, that nakedness belongs to your father. But here it says the nakedness is yours. That is your grandchildren. Don't uncover it. Okay. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, who was born into your father's household, she is your sister. Do not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's sister, you shall not uncover. She is your father's flesh. The nakedness of your mother's sister, you shall not uncover, for she is your mother's flesh. Those were the ants, but notice they're, 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 not, they're, they're not talking about um, uncles or in this case, nieces. The nakedness of your father's brother, you shall not uncover. Do not approach his wife, she is your aunt. Do not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. And finally, do not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is the nakedness of your brother. Okay. And that one is not a blood relationship. It is a, a marriage prohibition. Okay. Okay. Very confusing stuff, right? Uh, and, we, and I've done a lot of talking. I've been talking for, for now half the class. So um, let's, and I cannot, I'm having problems here today with, I think because somehow, because I was the host, I, my screen keeps um, jiggling around. Okay, um, let's begin.
What are we seeing here? Why does the Torah not want you to do these things that after all, most societies don't want you to do? So I'm partially asking why don't, why do most societies not have this prohibition? But that's too big a question. So let's try to answer the question. Why does the Torah seem to pro prohibit it? Okay, let's start with Matt Silberstein. I, I, I'm not even Matt, sure I'm ready to get there. What's that? Can we see you today? Oh, sure. I was, my phone was- We love around. your face, Matt. You're never okay. required to show your face. I know people sometimes have privacy stuff, but it's always nice. Okay. Um, I'm holding my phone up and down instead of sideways. Appreciate Okay. Um, I'm not even sure I'm ready to get to that because I'm just trying to understand what I'm looking at. And what I think I'm seeing is they sort of, I'm seeing it as bubbles. This is a person that matters. There's a prohibition around that person. Here's a person that matters. There's a prohibition around. And I just also wonder, are they trying to say, here are all the cases and they miss some? Or are they, are they leaving them out deliberately? It almost feels to me like they're trying to say, here's all of them, and they've just forgotten some because there's so many permutations. They don't mean to leave some out. They want to say this. this uh, so I'm not even sure I'm ready to get to why. That's a good, okay, you, you posed to us a great question. Is this meant to be a comprehensive list? These are the prohibited unions. All other unions are uh, permitted, or are we being told it is bad to have sexual um, relationships amongst the family, whether blood rel relatives or through marriage? Just avoid that. And we can assume that that applies to great-grandchildren as well. And we can assume that that should apply to cousins as well. And we should assume is, after all, the, the, the list seems to be speaking to a male listener. So... The same thing would apply to to a to a to a female listener thinking about relationships with men. Okay, so that's a good question, Noah. Yeah, it's a very interesting list, specifically the nuclear family, the father, mother, and the descendants, and then going further, I think it would equally apply to the daughters of the Lofahad because they then got the inheritance and thus the laws were incumbent on them. Though I'm thinking that elaborate marriage and all those permutations just throw a whole wrench into this because it just throws a lot of this out the window and keeping that family name alive then seems to be more important the father's last name or the brother's last name or whoever's last name it is is the one seemingly being kept alive yeah that's these are great questions that you're raising N noah asks us to consider how much these prohibitions have to do with the laws of inheritance and pres preservation of the family name right and that does become relevant in all kinds of ways, um, both in the, the case that um, that Noah mentions of the daughters of Tzlofchad, who are wondering, 
what happens when the Torah seems to have presumed that only males carry on the family inheritance and name, and eventually the Torah corrects that. So might we understand that move to mean that, yes, um, this was taking into account the way that a family um, preserves its name and inheritance. And so you, you might imagine that um, the, the, the marriages within families, competitions for um, who will be the inheritor um, would get far too complicated if people were allowed to, oh, well, why don't I just marry my brother and then I'll also have the inheritance. And so when the Torah corrects for, um, for, for what seems to be only men inheriting, right? It is, it is, it complements the idea that we can keep the family sexually separate and continue the laws of, and in fact, we should. And um, Noah also mentions a very important kind of asterisk caveat, strange exception to all of this, which is the law of yibum, yibum. Actually, in Dafyomi right now, they're studying this, these laws. And the law of Yibum, the, what they call the Leverite marriage, is um, when, your, when you, your brother is married to someone, you are not allowed to have sexual relationships with that woman. When you, a man, have a brother and your brother has a wife, as, as my brother does, right? That is forbidden. But if that brother dies without children, you are obligated then to marry that woman and to have children with her in order to carry on your brother's name. Those children will be known as your brother's children and not yours. So you can see that Noah is, is very keenly pointing out the ways that, in, that these sorts of relationships implicate the preservation of a family name. And in that case, you can break what seems to be the earlier law in order to preserve the family name. But in most cases, you wouldn't marry that, that, that person. And partially, it is to keep separate the lineage of your brother and the lineage of you within the family. OK, so those considerations as well. Payam. I just have a question. Is this the same language that's used in Noah? About oh, Payam. Wow, you're, you're today's genius. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I think now, you know, and, and, and after all, our, you know, our hour is running. So let's go there and let's introduce now. We've got a, a line of interpreters. I know there's much more to say on just what we've read already. But Payam makes the connection, the, the, the kind of striking connection that I wanted um, to make today. You stole my thunder. And, and that's, the best, that's the best possible outcome. So here, take a look at this. Uh, we often do this in this class. Here we were presented with this strange language of uncovering nakedness. Unco why put it that way? How about just don't sleep with your, 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 your daughter? Don't sleep with your mother. How about, how about that language? But instead, it's uncovering nakedness. And Payam is right that the, the place where we find that language for the first time in the Torah, in fact, the place where we find this word erva for the first time in, in the Torah is in the Noah story. And, and this is, so let's take a look at that and see if we can incorporate it into our thinking because sure, the connection is so, that Payam is suggesting is so obvious linguistically that it must inform our conversation. So let's take a look. This is after Noah saves the world, okay? Noah saves, uh, or at least the animals and his family. And a lot of other people died in the process, but Noah saves all the animals and restarts humanity. And that seems significant. Noah's there to kind of restart humanity. 
And the first thing that Noah does, though, after he saves the world, it's sort of a tragic story, is he gets drunk. He gets drunk. Okay, and, and we can understand how traumatizing his experience might have been, but let's take a look at what happens there. Boy, my screen sharing is really messed up today. Okay. Noah, the tiller of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank from the wine and became drunk, and he uncovered himself within his tent. Vayitgal, same language of Gilui. He uncovered himself within his tent. And then Ham, the father of Canaan, remember that's one of the forbidden nations, right? You're not supposed to imitate their practices, saw the nakedness of his father, Ervataviv, and he told his two brothers outside. What does it mean that he saw the nakedness of his father? Well, let's read to the end and then, and then we'll, we'll think about it a little bit. But Shem and Yafet took a cloth, placed it against both their backs, and walking backward, they covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned the other way so that they did not see the nakedness of their father. When Noah woke up from his wine and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, cursed be your, your son, the lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. Okay, there's a lot here, but let me just say two things quickly. And then actually I wanna to return to Payam and see if he has anything to make of this. Same language, same exact language that we really only find in this story and then in our chapter in Leviticus of uncovering nakedness, revealing nakedness, okay? But it doesn't seem to be a sexual relationship. It seems like he just saw his father's nakedness. So one question we might ask is, what was so bad about that? What's so bad about seeing your parents naked? Is, it, is that bad? What's so bad about this? And the other sons seem to know that it's bad and they, they cover their father's nakedness and they don't see their father's nakedness, okay? But in part because the, the Noah seems to be very, very upset and he learned what his youngest son had done. To, what does his youngest son do to him? The commentaries suggest exactly what you might think they would suggest, here's Rashi, our foremost commentator, saw the nakedness of his father. Some say that he castrated him and some say that he raped him, okay? Very chilling, chilling commentary there. But the connection between those two stories is, you know, in the, in the methodology that we use in this class, it's, 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 it's obvious. It's undeniable. Their language of uncovering nakedness, which is such strange language to begin with, is rooted somehow in that Noah story. And again, I'll repeat, you don't follow the practices of Egypt, where I told you siblings married, and you don't follow the practices of Canaan, which is the cursed nation in the story of Noah. So Payam, do you have any further thoughts on that? You've, you've already done us a lot of good just by making the connection, but any, any thoughts there? I think it's different. I mean, well, it's sort of, I think it's more, I've never liked the Rashi. I think it's more about vulnerability. I think it's more about seeing something that's defective in his father and that certain things should be secret. And that, okay. so he saw that. And then when you talk about uncovering, which is a different act, it's creating that in your whatever familiar relation person. 
Excellent. Okay, good. So Payam raises two important themes for us to consider. And I'm just going to repeat myself. Look, we're, it's, it's, it's 1245. There's no way we're going to do full justice to this topic. But as we look at the Torah's context, let's consider these two themes that Payam raises. One is some sense of privacy, just sort of bodily privacy and shame around the revelation of the body. Is that part of it? And there are just certain people you shouldn't see naked in the family, right? And the other thing is vulnerability. Noah was drunk. He was inebriated. Whatever Ham did to him, whether we follow the rabbinic commentaries or whether it's just that he observed his father, remember, he didn't uncover his father's nakedness. Noah uncovered his own nakedness, but Noah was drunk and reeling in his tent and there's some kind of, there's something predatory about even the looking at, at, at his father in this state. So he's taken advantages of his father's inebriated state. Okay, so that, that may be relevant. Okay, that's the story of Noah, but start to think about, is that part of what we're thinking about when we're thinking about family relationships in the book of Leviticus? Are we thinking about the ways in which families live together? So how will they maintain privacy? Right? Like you share a house with your children when they begin to develop sexually. Is it time to, to have separate quarters of the house? Is that important so that sexuality doesn't, isn't evoked? Right? And you share a household with your family. Some members of that family are more powerful than others. Right? In this case, it's the father who's vulnerable, but usually it's it's the children who are vulnerable. Don't take advantage of that vulnerability. Okay, so those are important connections to draw. Um, and the Noah story is clearly doing something to our understanding of gilui arayot. This becomes the famous phrase, revealing nakedness, and it starts in the story of Noah. So great job, Payam. Um, my mother. At the beginning of class, you showed Yeah, one, one paragraph that you showed, one sentence I really, I didn't understand the English. What does it mean to say, what does it mean to say don't uncover? What, what do we, don't uncover. So what is that phrase? What is that phrase, don't uncover? Good question, good question. It doesn't sound like sex, right? That's one of the strangest things in this famous uh, chapter. It doesn't sound like it's talking about sex. It sounds like it's talking about not seeing something. Don't, and, and Noah himself got naked, but there's some suggestion that maybe you would take off the clothes of someone in your family look at them, try to get underneath their clothing, right? So what does that mean? Why that, why that phrasing? So part of it is it comes from the Noah story, but why is that an important, why is it an important idea not to uncover and see nakedness, right? So just the phrasing itself, what is that? What does that mean? Why is that important? Great question. Okay, um, Richard. Richard, I can't hear you. I still can't hear you. Richard? 
Not working? Oh, that's a shame. Okay. Anyone else here, Richard? I'm I'm no. Okay, Ariella. Well, as Richard said in the comments that um uncovering nakedness can lead to rape and other um, dominating of vulnerable people that um, shouldn't be. And well, and that shouldn't be is my own judgment. But um, I think in the Bible, it said to protect the unit of the family because families have to coexist and once there are you know one person dominates <clears throat> another or is inappropriate that uh, takes the balance out of how how the family is supposed to function okay all right all right, so Ariella is saying two separate things. First of all, thanks for bringing Richard's words into the conversation, though he, he couldn't he couldn't speak them out loud. Um, that there is, and this begins to answer the question my my mother was just raising. Why, Uncle? What's the big deal with uncovering? And it seemed one way to in, to to interpret that is to say, it's not. This isn't just about not having sex with your family members, right? If the Torah said, "Don't have sex with your mother," you might read that and say, "Well, of course I won't," but Perhaps the Torah is saying, and perhaps the language I'm uncovering is, there's the Torah wants some kind of preservation of privacy and dignity and other kinds of sexual distancing, other kinds of either affection or visual, um, or sort of, or, 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 or sort of like visual awareness of one another, because those things can lead to sexual violation. So don't, don't think you can get away with some kind of um, intimate physical affection with your family members because it will, it will lead, to, the, it will lead to, to, to sexual intimacy. And so the maybe, my mother asked why this language, maybe the, maybe the connection to the Noah story is to say, don't even go there. It is important not to see your family members naked. Again, after, I mean, we can debate all of this, but certainly we're talking about after puberty, right? Like, you know, kids running around naked is not something that I, uh, I, 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 I can imagine um, condemning and is not forbidden in our tradition. But after sexual maturity, it's important to have some kind of separation between brothers and sisters, between parents and children, because it could lead to these worst, uh, these worst offenses. Okay, great. Uh, the other thing, though, that um, that uh, Ariella raises again is um, power dynamics and the way that the most powerful people in the family can subvert what Ariella sort of like in passing called the way things are supposed to be. And even though that phrase is a little elute, what does it mean to say the way things are supposed to be? You do wonder if that's part of what the Torah that there's there's a presumption that actually the Torah doesn't need to articulate, that no society needs to articulate, that you don't need to explain why you don't have sex with your parents. The Torah says, she's your mother. That's all the explanation you need. She's your mother. Uh, of course you don't. Now, I don't know, does that require explanation or not? 
But the, that language that Ariella just used of the way things are supposed to be, maybe the Torah is, now I'm combining both thoughts that Ariella has offered. Maybe the Torah is overlaying, no pun intended, um, prohibitions on top of what the Torah presumes to be the obvious that everybody knows. All cultures are going to come to don't sleep with your parents or your children, but maybe we need more. Maybe we need some, some guidelines or protections around that to safeguard, to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay, let's continue. Leah? This seems to me to be particular prohibition and nervousness around male genitalia. I mean, we, didn't we just read in previous sections about the priestly garments? This, mm. I think these, this is a society where men and women were in sort of like a, a robe, one piece dress, um, but the priests are specifically instructed to wear breeches or trousers so that their genitalia would not, there's some phrase about because Hashem doesn't want to see that. I imagine them going up the steps, up and down the steps of the temple and somehow their male genitalia needs to be covered, not so that other people don't see it, but that Hashem is not affronted by exposure to that. Okay, there's a lot there. It's very hard to, to unpack that completely, but, I, but, but it's important that you raise some of these questions. The, que the question of, of male nakedness, right? Because it's easy to read this passage as speaking to men and presuming that men wanna sleep with women and just talking about women's bodies and women's nakedness. But that's why I emphasize that at the very, the very first prohibition is your, don't uncover your father's nakedness, right? Your father's nakedness. And that's what Canaan, or sorry, Ham saw is his father's nakedness. That's the first nakedness that we actually hear about in the Torah. I should say, some of you probably think, what about Adam and Eve and their nakedness? But actually there's a different word used for their nakedness. They were a room, which is more like they were just sort of like, they were just sort of in their natural state. But this is the, the word erva is first used with Noah. And it is, it's a, it's a male gaze at a, at a male, a, a male genitalia, as you said. And I want to share the verse that uh, there are a couple of verses that talk about the priests and their garments. But you're absolutely right, Leah. And I, I gosh, I don't know exactly what to make of it. But we, we must consider, as you know, I'm having a hard time with my screen share today. Um, do not ascend my altar, God says, by steps, so that you do not, here's that same phrase, uncover your nakedness upon it. Lo tegale ervatcha. Here talking to the priests who ascend upon the altar. They, they, and, and Leah's right, there are other, I didn't include this on the source sheet, but there are other, um, there are other verses that describe the priestly garments as exactly like robes that would cover male genitalia, male nakedness. So that's, I don't know exactly what to do with it, but it's striking because it isn't just about the male gaze at female bodies, but also uh, the male gaze at male bodies. And Leah suggests maybe God's gaze at male bodies, which is, which is undesired. Okay, interesting. Um, Rabbi uh, Zaki. Okay, I'm going somewhere different. I think okay. it's about uncovering one's soul. Mm. So our skin is 
what covers us. But if somebody delves deeper into our soul and gets to know us when we're not ready to share that. Mm. So it's not about the physical body. It's about the essence of our soul. Even though I know mm. the text was talking about who to, not to sleep with and everything else, but it all affects our souls. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so let's, uh, we're, I, I realize now we're, we're, we're close to the yeah, end of our hour. So. No, but that's great. That's great. I mean, this is actually a, this is a good place to begin to summarize because we have been considering what it means. My mother's question sort of forced us to consider what does it mean that it's all about not uncovering and Rabbi Zaki suggests like, so, so, so as we asked that question, we wondered if it wasn't just about sex, but actually all manner of seeing too much, revealing too much. Rabbi Zaki takes it to like a spiritual place. Like what does it mean to, to, to invade someone's privacy on a spiritual level, to see too much of, of them? And the Noah story evokes that as well. That is, if we don't follow Rashi and the Talmud and assume that, that Ham raped his father, which might, that, that there's reason to make that association, there's something that Ham seems to have done to Noah that shamed him, that violated his privacy, but not just privacy like in the, in the standard way. The moment when Noah was at his lowest, the moment when he was drunk and miserable and grieving the loss of all humanity. And just imagine him in his tent, just twirling around naked, pathetic, crying, who knows what state he was in. And his son went in there and not just saw it, but went and told his brothers, look at what dad is doing. Look at what dad looks like. Look what a fool dad is dancing around naked. Who knows like whether he was talking, dad, maybe I, I saw my parents masturbating. I, you know, I could, or just like on a spiritual level, there's the physical nervousness here, but there's also Rabbi Zaki suggests there's a kind of spiritual nervousness of just violating someone's sense of personal integrity. And it's so easy to do that in a family. It's so easy to do that. You're, you're in close quarters. You know, we get in fights with each other. We say things to each other that we wouldn't say to anyone else. And, you know, most of the time, you know, maybe Ariel is right, it's just our natural instincts prevent us from, from violating them in, in physical ways, but it happens and it causes damage, destruction to the body and the soul. And so the Torah is nervous about that. The Torah worries about that. Um, we are at time and there's more to be done here. If you look at the source sheet, um, part of what I started to do was to think a little bit about the role of alcohol in the Noah story. And then in other stories in the Torah, Lot's daughters, now this is interesting, Lot's daughters rape their father and they do they get him drunk to do it. Right? The, um, the book of Leviticus warns priests about covering their garments, warns priests about getting drunk. And here the book of Leviticus is warning all of us to maintain some kind of, some kind of covering. And why does the, does the book of Leviticus do that? I'll, I'll just end on this, this quote here um, because I think it's, it's worth giving us some classic Levitical language. Uh, the, the book of, of Leviticus says, drink no other wine or intoxicant. You or your sons when you enter the tent of meeting so that you may not die. This is a law of time for throughout the ages for you must distinguish between the sacred 
and the profane, the holy and the profane, between the impure and the pure. And you must teach the Israelites all the laws which God has imparted to them through Moses. Now, we, we use those words, you know, we toss around those words a lot, the, 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 the pure and the impure, the, 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 the holy and the unholy. And I don't know if we really understand those words. And I don't think we've really understood the depth of what exactly the Torah is doing and operate. We've, we've raised a lot of good questions and we've offered a lot of good interpretations. But I do think that it's important to remember that this appears in the context of the book of Leviticus whose chief concerns are holiness and purity. Those very, what do those terms even mean? But goodness, they certainly seem to apply in these cases. It's hard for me to fully speak out why incest is wrong, but there does seem to be something unholy, something impure about it. So much more investigation to be done. We've only begun to scratch the surface, but good work today on this very, very challenging and yet very, prominent and significant topic in our tradition. Sorry to the folks I didn't get to. By the way, today is the 12th day of the Omer, if you're counting. And, uh, and uh, I, guess that's, uh, I guess that's about it. Uh, oh, one more thing. I am beginning a class on Pirkei Avot on Monday night at six o'clock. We do this. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 